0: So this morning, I've been thinking a lot about the influence that Jesus had on culture and how that He really shook up the ancient culture. It was just like when Jesus showed up; he, His message was contrary to the way that people were thinking. And you know, whenever you whenever you come up against somebody, the way they're thinking, then then you're you're like you don't tread on me. That's I've been doing this for a hundred years, you know. It's what I've always done. It's just who I am. You know, we use all those. And then Jesus showed up and is like, man, he really, really shook up the way people thought. Anybody here ever been shook up by Jesus? I think everybody probably ought to raise their hands. We've all been. (coughs) I could probably title this message. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. I don't know for sure. We're all shook up, but the title of my message this morning is "Don't Drink the Kool-Aid." Yeah. 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 Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Now, you all know what happened, Jim Jones. You you remember that, right? Back in I think the '70s. I don't even remember. Uh, it was, he, there was 900 people who died from drinking cyanide-laced flavored water. They say it's flavored water, Said, so it wasn't really Kool-Aid, and the people that are offended when you say don't drink the Kool-Aid are the people that get offended at everything, and I'm tired of keeping track of people who are offended. So we're just gonna go ahead and preach about it. <laughs> 900 people bought in to a message that took their life. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. I'm a waver. I like to wave at people. Anybody with me? Wave to me if you're a waver. (laughs) Like when you're in a pickup. People don't wave like they used to. You know what I'm saying? They just don't. And and I mean, I think... uh, used to we just wave all the time and people'd actually wave back but right now i find i found that the other day i was driving and i saw i saw a, a, a dually pickup with a horse trailer on the back and i had my dually pickup and i had my horse trailer on the back and i waved at him and you know what he did yeah. you know why he waved back we had something in common yeah. all the motorcycle people and then driving by No, no, it's like this, not like this, it's like this, you drive by. (laughs) They all wave, but most of them, the, the ones that don't wave are not friendly. But I think it's important for us to realize that we have something in common with everybody, but we also have people that we really have something in common, common with that we can be influenced, that we can influence them, but we can also be influenced by them. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. I've found that if I have something in common with somebody, I'm a lot more, it's a lot easier to talk to them about it. Like people that golf, they talk about golf. and Ladies that sew, they talk about sewing. Um, Guys that like big trucks, they look for other people with big trucks. And you with me? And then you can talk to them about it. Jesus had more influence. You think about it. Jesus had more influence over the masses than anybody in the history of this planet. Has, has anybody ever heard the term, don't negotiate with terrorists? <laughs> George W. Bush, he, I think he may have started that. I don't know. But we say don't negotiate with terrorists. How many knows that Satan is the biggest terrorist yeah. that ever was? And he has influenced more terrorism than anybody. And he is actually the foundation of all terrorists. Yeah. Don't negotiate with the terrorist. <laughs> so there was a hunter. He was hunting bears. And he raised his rifle and he took his took aim on a very large bear. And as the hunter was about to pull the trigger, the bear spoke in a real soft, soothing voice. He said, isn't it better to talk than shoot? Anti-gun. It was a bear that was anti-gun. And the bear said, what do you want? Let's negotiate the matter. Lowering his rifle, the hunter replied, well, I want a fur coat. Good, said the bear. That's a negotiable question. I only want a full stomach. (laughs) So let's negotiate a compromise. They sat down to negotiate. And after a time, the bear walked away Alone, the negotiations had been successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had a fur coat.. <clears throat> Satan says, "Hey, let's negotiate, but they're are some things in our lives that must not be negotiable. And if we're not careful, the deceiver will deceive us into negotiating. And then, sad to say, many times he gets what he wants when we sit down to negotiate with the terrorists. We cannot afford to compromise or negotiate with the world that we live in. Jesus and his church, which is us, his people, deserve the very best and utmost loyalty and influence. Jesus, the greatest influencer of all time, I want to talk about six ways that Jesus changed the world, influenced the world in uh, about eight fifteen this morning, as I was studying this, I decided to only give three ways, and we'll carry on with it next week. But I, I think I would be rushing it too much if I tried to give you all six ways. But there's there's some major ways that Jesus influenced the world, and and it's the ancient world of his time that Jesus influenced. But how many know that God is still? relevant to this world. <laughs> Jesus is more relevant today than he's ever been in history. He is still as relevant as he was back when he was walking on the face of this earth. Why is that? It's because he's Jesus and he's God. God the creator, the God that made us is the one who is still relevant to us. Why? Because we were created in his image. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so we all in our time realize that there must be somebody that is greater than we are. His name is Jesus, the greatest influencer. Make no mistake. So I want to talk to you. John Orton would come up with some of these uh, things I want to talk about this morning that really inspired this. Uh, Isn't it interesting that presidents over the decades have had to repeatedly address their views about an itinerant rabbi who lived over two thousand years ago. All the presidents, people are. Well, what do you think about Jesus? Well, what's your view on Jesus? You remember that? Clinton, Obama, uh, uh, Trump, uh, Biden, everybody. Well, what do you? Th- what's, your, what's your view on Jesus? Why is that? Why is that comparison always asked from people who don't even really believe in Jesus? The reason is, is because his influence is what our nation was created by. And our documents and our constitution and our law was built on biblical basis. You can never separate church from the state because the state was built on biblical principles. why does this keep resurfacing after so many years? Yale historian Yoselov pelikan I probably butchered his name. He said this though, he said regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth has been The dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. You see, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Even people who don't believe in Jesus have a little cross around their neck. They have crosses in their home. They have something that signifies who Jesus is. You talk about a person of influence. This is just amazing. However, ancient culture had actually drank the Kool-Aid of selfishness, putting down the poor as well as the women and children in a place of less value and less importance than they were. Listen, Jesus rectified this injustice to the point where they crucified him because they were not willing to listen to the truth of how God valued all of mankind. Make no mistake, God values everybody the same. His value system across the board is that people Are his greatest treasure, no matter whether they're red, yellow, black, or white, they are all precious in his sight. Man or woman, uh, free or bond, uh, no matter who it is, they are valuable to Jesus. And those are the people that Jesus gave his life for. (coughs) Excuse me. Sad to say, this kind of caste system not only exists in third world countries, y'all fasten your seatbelt it is still prevalent in our world today and sadly also in the church. Women and children, there's a lot of people that don't appreciate the fact that we let the opposite sex of man preach in this pulpit. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be the guy when I stand before God that silenced half of the human race. I don't want to have to stand before God and say, women's perspective was not that important to me. I don't want to be the guy that falsely read a scripture that said women are supposed to be silenced in church when it, it was actually talking about people, women who were talking across that aisle because their husband sat on one side and the women sat on the other side and they were hollering back and forth in church. And Paul said, you need to be quiet in church and let the preacher preach. Yeah. Yeah. We can't get that confused with women just need to be like children and sit down and shut up. I'm telling you, there's a lot of churches Christian churches that actually believe that women don't have a voice from the pulpit. I say today, that is not God's plan for his church. I'm going to say that. I was a little passionate about that, wasn't I? (laughs) It's true. So it turns out the life of Jesus... Actually, is a comet with an exceedingly long tail. Here are some ways his impact most often surprised people. This is great. The first way that he influenced people was the influence of the value of children. The ancient world, children were were routinely left to die of exposure, particularly if they were of the wrong gender, and you can you can probably guess what gender that was. They were often sold into slavery and sometimes, in some cases, sacrificed to idols. China's one-child policy in the 70s, where if that child was not a boy, they would abort the girl. Now, what it has led to these years later is they have... So many men that they don't, they, don't even, they don't have enough wives. They've got like 30 million more men than they have women and in their society. If they don't have a spouse, their value isn't there. So what that's done, that's led to the crime rate. Let me tell you something. When you start messing with the, God, with the way God makes things, it's going to get messed up. Your crime rate's going to go up. You're not going to have wives to marry your husbands because you killed all the little girls in an abortion clinic. consequences Jesus' treatment and teaching about children led to the forbidding of such practices and as well as orphanages and places of learning Jesus shook up evil perceptions and value systems and he messed with people's minds that had drank the Kool-Aid there was a Norwegian scholar named Bake or Bach I'm not sure B-A-K-K-E. How are you supposed to say that? (laughs) B-A-K-K-E. Wrote a study of this impact simply titled, When Children Became People. The birth of the value of all children began, listen to this, began in early Christianity. Up until the time that Jesus showed up, children really didn't have the value that they deserve. Matthew 19:14, Jesus said, "Let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven." Amen. Mark 9:37, "Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me." Mark 10:13, they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. You see, the disciples were still hung up with the traditions. Y'all come on with me. I know y'all don't do none of that. I know y'all don't do. You don't get hung up in your little traditions. I know that don't happen. But I'm just talking about the disciples. I'm talking about these followers of Jesus, not these followers. (laughs) The disciples were hung up in the tradition. That children were supposed to be seen and not heard. That's the generation I grew up in. They drank the Kool-Aid. Mark 10, 14, when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for if such is the kingdom of God. He said, unless you become as a little child with your faith toward him, you can't be a part of my kingdom. Sometimes children can teach us about how to have faith in God. If you are if you're light on faith this morning, try to find a child and learn from that. Learn from that baby. The second way that Jesus influenced was the influence of the value of education. My name is Randy Weaver. I wasn't good in school. I didn't. I always wanted a seat by the window so I could look outside where I wanted to be. Should've went to school in Galveston because my grades were all uh, always a little below sea level. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus valued education, so consequently we've had i've had to educate myself along the way the love of learning from jesus's influence led to universities such as cambridge oxford and harvard they all began they began as jesus inspired efforts to love god with all one's mind the first legislation to publicly fund education in the colonies when they came to America was called the old deluders Satan act. The old deluder, you know who that is, right? Satan, he deludes our heads with things we shouldn't be deluded with. The old deluder, under the notion that God does not want any child ignorant, the ancient world loved education but tended to reserve it for the elite the notion that every child bore God's image helped to fuel the move of universal literacy. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, not drinking the Kool-Aid that the world brings into our hearts and into our minds. But when before church this morning, I had to get in this office back here in the green room. I get down on my knees and I say, God, purify me, cleanse me in my heart and in my mind, my body and my soul. And the reason I do that is because whenever I come before you all I want you to see is Jesus I don't want you to see me I don't want you to be deluded by the the man that you see I want you to be influenced by the God that you serve John 5 37 the father who, who sent me Jesus said has testified concerning me you have heard his voice you have never heard his voice nor seen his form nor does his word dwell in you for you do not, you do not believe the one who he sent. You study the scriptures. He's talking to the church people. He said you study the, the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. They knew the scripture but they didn't know Jesus. It's not enough just to be smart. It's not enough just to have knowledge. We must have the wisdom that goes along with the knowledge and the wisdom teaches us how to apply that knowledge. I'll tell you, people who are over-educated without wisdom, they are dangerous. Influence of compassion. The last one that I want to talk about this morning is the influence of compassion. First Corinthians chapter 13 says love never fails. The love chapter. Jesus had a universal concern that those who suffered that transcended, concern for those who suffered that transcended the rules of the ancient world. His compassion for the poor and the sick led to institutions for lepers in the beginning of modern-day hospitals. The, the Council of Nica decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must be hospice, a place of caring for the sick and poor. That's why even today, hospitals have names like Good Samaritan, Good Shepherd. St. Anthony, St. Luke, Methodist Hospital. The list goes on and on. They were the world's first voluntary charitable organizations. Because of the compassion that Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to have an education and to know the word of God. But the way that we apply that word of God is by having compassion for him, practice is something that I think is important for anybody that wants to get good at something. Practice. There is an old saying, uh, "Practice makes perfect." Y'all heard that, right? I don't think it's true. because you can practice wrong and be very imperfect. You can be deluded by, I live in the team roping world, and I have a lot of friends who think they rope real good. They've drank their own Kool-Aid. <laughs> One of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself is the truth. Truth. To see yourself as God sees you. And I'm not saying to tear yourself down because we're all pretty good at that. A lot of us are. Unless we're so arrogant, then we're, we're good at, at tearing everybody else down. But when I want to practice to be good at something, when I want to be good at something, I have to practice it. And when I practice correct, when I have the information, I have the knowledge, then I can apply that knowledge. I think it's interesting, I've always wanted to be a healer, like when in the team and one guy ropes the, the, the horns, and another guy ropes the feet, the guy that ropes the feet is the healer, and I've always wanted to be a healer, I wanted to be more like Jesus, because he was the healer, <laughs> but it's never come natural to me, so I practice a lot, and I realize something, that I know how to heal, but I don't heal very good. Y'all with me? I know how to live for Jesus. I don't know if anybody's getting any of this this morning. I know how to do all the right things, but actually doing those things, even though I know how to do it, I know what's correct. I've watched a lot of videos, been to a lot of churches, and I know how to live for Jesus. We have to practice it. And for some, it's a little bit harder than for others. Sometimes it just doesn't come natural for some, and it comes more natural from others. And the ones that it doesn't come natural, like for healing, there's little kids that heal a lot better than I do. I'm like, how did you get so good so fast? I'm 67 years old. I've been trying to do this all my life, and I'm still not good at it. And you just jump up. You're 16 years old, and you could beat me any day of the week. It doesn't seem fair, does it? You've seen people, they don't seem to not to have a problem living for God. It's like, man, you're just, you just like, ah. But the key, I don't believe, is in the destination. The key is embracing the process of following Jesus. If you take care of the process, he'll take care of the destination. It's not your job to make sure you get to heaven. It's your job to love Jesus. It's your job to do the work that he sent you to do and to have him in your life and let him be the one who calls the shots in your life. Because you'll either let him be God or you'll let something else or somebody else be God in your life. Either way, we're going to have a God in our lives. I might even get done on time this morning. If God came up to you and asked you what you would want, if he could give you anything you wanted, what would you ask for? Now, you've probably shot. I'm sure you thought about it like the genie in the bottle business. What about God, though? If God said, <clears throat> I'll give you whatever you want, what would you ask God for? So what happened was there was a guy named Solomon. He was the son of David, and God came to Solomon. You remember the story, right? He came to Solomon, and he told Solomon, I'll give you whatever you ask for. And Solomon, being raised in his daddy's court, realized that having everything, every material possession wasn't enough, that he needed God's wisdom. He asked God for wisdom, and the Bible said that, he gave God, that God gave him wisdom and gave him everything, probably that he would have asked for anything anyway because he asked for wisdom. And I've always been impressed with Solomon. He had the influence. You remember the two ladies that came up to him and, and uh, they, one, both of them said that the, the little baby belonged to them. You remember that story? And he had this wisdom. And so he says, I'm just going to cut the baby in half. And I'm going to give half to each mama. And the real mama said, no, don't do that. Just give it to her. And so he wound up giving it to the one who said, don't cut the baby in half. Yeah. Because he had... Wisdom. Solomon had a lot of influence. Solomon started out well early in his life, listening to the counsel of his father David. And then in 1 Kings 2 2 and 3, it says, Be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in his ways. And keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and his requirement as was written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you go. It's a great word, isn't it? So Solomon's early humility is shown in 1 Kings 3, 5 through 9 when he requests wisdom from the Lord. We all know that wisdom is applied knowledge. It helps us to make decisions that honor the Lord and also decisions that agree with Scripture. That's that education part. There's a lot of sayings in the world that the world thinks is in the Bible, but it's not really there. But we won't know whether it's in there or not if we don't study the word. And we can be influenced by the world without knowing what the word of God says. We will follow blindly because we have drank the Kool-Aid of the influence of the world. So Solomon's book of Proverbs is filled with political, or practical counsel on how to follow the Lord. Solomon also wrote the Song of Solomon, which presents a beautiful picture of, of what God intends for marriage to be. This just gets me. So King Solomon knew what was right, even if he didn't always follow the right path. He knew what to do. He knew how to rope, but he really didn't rope that good. I'm glad y'all come this morning. Over time, Solomon forgot his own counsel. In the wisdom of Scripture, God had given clearly instructions for anyone who would be king. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. Listen to this one. No amassing of horses. No multiplying of wives. And no accumulating of silver and gold. Now these commands were designed to prevent the king from trusting in military might, because the horses—that—that that was something that that elevated their their military uh, strength. And following didn't want in following foreign gods, the multiplying of wives, and relying on wealth instead of on God. It's not—it's not a sin to have wealth, but when you're when you be when you begin to Rely on your wealth rather than relying on God. That's when wealth becomes your God. Any survey of Solomon's life will show that he broke all three of these divine prohibitions. All three of them. This Solomon taking of many wives and concubines was a direct violation of God's word just as God had predicted in 1 Kings eleven four, 4, it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. See, I gotta, I gotta say something in parentheses here. If you are one of those people that judge God as being harsh and hard in the Old Testament. I have a word for you. Solomon, because of his lust for women, married, how do you, how do you, uh, like 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, like, that's like, that's like, too much. <laughs> Too much. But we sinners know that when we start something, it elevates. Oh, y'all. y'all look off a am a Good thing the lights are down a little bit. I can't really see your faces. I said, when sin comes into our lives, it always elevates itself when we entertain it. It always gets worse. It doesn't ever stay the same. It either gets worse or it gets better. We either get it out or it gets worse. If we have addictions, the addictions get worse or we get them out. And everybody that's ever been addicted, say amen. amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So Solomon, he's got all these wives and then it's not enough just to marry the, the good wives the, the, of, the, of the followers of God. He married foreign wives that brought foreign gods into his home and influenced, I'm still on this influencing sermon, okay? And his, the influence that Solomon had toward them was reversed, and they began to influence Solomon toward them because he let them in there in his house. Yeah. What are you letting in your house? What is influencing you? So God said, Do not marry foreign wives. Why? Because God values the truth of his word, but he also valued Solomon. He valued God's chosen people enough that he didn't want them influenced or diluted with the doctrine of the world. So he married foreign wives that had the wives had uh, one of the religions of the wives that he married was they had a god named Molach, and God and Molach would actually they would bring their firstborn child and they would make a iron. God and they would have a hole in the belly of Moloch and they would come and they would put their baby in there and they would burn their baby to death thinking that they would have a prosperous marriage and a prosperous life if they would sacrifice their baby to Moloch. Then Jesus comes, y'all stay with me. Jesus comes along and he says them babies need to come to me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. I value those babies. And then we today in our modern culture and the the beautiful blessings that God has given to the United States of America there has been over Oh, I don't even remember 70 million babies that have been sacrificed on the bed of an abortion clinic. In America, in our land today, people still today are sacrificing babies to the God of selfishness and self-serving men and women because women don't just get an abortion by themselves. Yeah, man. You men... It it takes both of us. Y'all, I don't know if we need that clinic right now or not, but we're just as responsible. Now, one in four, they say that one in four men and women have had an abortion. So what I'm going to say to you today, that there's healing at the foot of the cross, for you and forgiveness God doesn't want you to live in shame because you messed up you can't do anything about how you messed up in the past but you can sure do something about what you've done doing right now and do something about your future that's the reason Jesus said you must be born again because he doesn't want you living with the shame of your past that's love that's Jesus Oh, thank you, Johnny. (laughs) So God allowed Solomon to make the choices to disobey, but Solomon's choice brought inevitable consequences. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant, my decree, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. The book of Ecclesiastes, you know the one that Solomon wrote, right? It gives us the rest of the story. Solomon throughout the book tells us everything that he tried in order to find fulfillment apart from God and his word. Or under the sun. This is his testimony. In Ecclesiastes 2:8, it says, I am mass silver. And gold for myself and treasures of the kings and provinces, I acquired a harem as well, as well the delight of the heart of man. But his harem did not bring him happiness. Instead, everything was meaningless, he said. Y'all remember reading that? Because Solomon was disappointed in his life because everything that he thought would bring peace and happiness to him didn't do the trick. And the very thing that we search for and we seek for sometimes are the same things that Solomon sought for and looked for. And we look as born-again believers and we look for, when we look for a spouse, we don't look for somebody that has the same honor for God as we have, but we look outside of the kingdom of God, then we wind up with a bad marriage because we have not done due diligence in... What is it whenever you have a, an interview with somebody? You, uh, for a job? Where's Darla at? <laughs> yeah, you, you look at their resume. Evaluate them. That's about, there's another word, but I, forget it. We know what I'm talking about. You all know. But when you young, you, you young people, when you're looking for a spouse, find somebody that loves God more than you do. You won't wind up like Solomon thinking, oh, man, she is so good looking. Let me tell you something. Good looking gets ugly when they don't know Jesus. <laughs> There is absolutely nothing politically correct about me. (laughs) So at the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, he said everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then at the end of Ecclesiastes, we find wise counsel. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here's what he said. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. I learned something this morning I didn't know before that you remember when Jesus was just before he we went to the cross. It says that he looked over Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen would gather her chicks, but you would not. And then the Bible says before he went to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he sweat as though it were drops of blood. What that means is he knew, and he said this to the father. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. This was in the garden of Gethsemane. The garden of Gethsemane is right at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Some of y'all have been there. The Mount of Olives, another word for the Mount of Olives is the place of pressing. You live in this life, and I promise you, if you live very long, you're going to get pressed. At some point in time, there's going to come some pressing on you. You're going to have an opportunity to get get offended when some preacher preaches about drinking the Kool-Aid. But there's going to be some pressing because there's going to be conviction in you because God loves you enough to convict you. The Mount of Olives, this is what I didn't know, was the place where... Solomon built the altar to Molech. You can't make this stuff up. The very place where Solomon's wives, now, let me take that back. I don't know, it doesn't say that Solomon's wives sacrificed their sons, but we know that Molech the God, the people that serve Molech sacrificed their children. So we assume that Solomon's wife did it too. We don't know that for sure. Either way, it's still an offense to God. So the name of that mountain was the Mount of, called before it was the Mount of Olives. it was called the Mount of Offense I've not had time to digest all of this because I just got it at 8:15 this morning. I don't enjoy being pressed. I don't like it when my way of thinking is challenged. But I need my way of thinking challenged. Anybody with me today? Say, Preacher, I, I'm, 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 I'm up for the challenge. I need to be challenged. Solomon started out well, he didn't finish well. He didn't finish well. Anybody can start anything. Anybody can start a marriage. Anybody can start a relationship with God. Anybody can start a business. Anybody can start a church. Anybody can start anything, a family. Not very many people want to finish, but my God, whenever he hung up on the cross, the very last words that he said was, it is Finished and he did what he came to do on the mount, right close there to the Mount of Olives, Jesus came and cleansed the temple. And he said, hey, I don't want to share you. He's a jealous God. What does that mean? He means that he doesn't want to share you with every God out there in this world because you in your heart need to stay clean in your heart and your mind, your body and soul because we are children of the most high God. It's worth the effort to finish strong because Jesus finished. I want to tell you today, you you can finish. You can finish. You can finish. You can finish. Anybody can start anything. Show me somebody who will finish. Strong finishers are people of influence. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for helping us, Jesus, to see you in your fullness. Bless your church today. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the first step in finishing strong is to start strong. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door knock. If anyone open the door, I'll come in and I'll be with them. God is not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to a place of repentance. It's not like God's mad at you. He made every effort for you to come to him, but he's going to honor you and your choice to come or not to come. So this morning, if you've never accepted him as your savior, maybe if you have, you just haven't been living for him, simply by raising your hand, say, preacher, I need Jesus in my heart. I need to make him the Lord of my life. Slip your hand up high. We want to put a Bible in it. Just slip your hand up high. Anybody, preacher, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I need him in my heart. Anybody, preacher, that's me. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, right here. Leave your hand up till we get a Bible in it, please. Thank you, baby. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Would you mind coming up? Let me pray with you. I'm so proud of you. Bless your heart you sweet girl. Tell me your name again. Aubrey. Aubrey. Can I pray with you, Aubrey? I just want to help you. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all messed up. That's what's so beautiful about where we're at right now. We can come to God. So, but he said if we confess with our mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart, that we be saved. So I want to help you do that, okay? Just repeat after me. Y'all help us pray. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross. For my sins. For my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my life. From this day forward. From this day forward. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible. Help me to read my Bible. To pray. To pray. Show up for church. To show up for church. And get baptized. I love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. Teach, me to love you more. Teach me to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm so proud of you, Aubrey. Can I give you a hug? Yeah. I love I'm you. I am being baptized, too. Super. I love it. I love it. I want you to baptize me, too. Okay, that'll work. Go visit with, with this guy for just a second. Y'all stand with me. So, at the end of the day, being a Christian is being Christ-like. Y'all with me? So if Jesus had influence and he influenced people in a good way, that's what he's called us to do. Y'all with me? So I I just want to ask you a question. Does anybody need help being a better influencer? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. That's why. Okay. Let's raise our other hands and I'm going to pray for y'all. Lord, I just pray, oh God, today that you'd help us, Lord, to be good influencers, that we would have the same influence that you have. You said greater things shall we do because you are going to make intercession for us. So, Lord, may we have great influence to the people that we that we come in contact with the people that we have things in common with that we will pay attention. Oh God, to influence people toward you, not away from you, but towards you that we would be loyal and faithful to your call that you've called us to influence people in a way to where they honor you and they wind up with a relationship with you. So help us. We pray and we thank you for it in Jesus name and the church said, amen. amen. God bless y'all. We love you. Y'all have a great week you mm-hmm.